Welcome to the Family Office Real Estate Institute podcast. My name is DJ Bankier with the Hayman Family Office, and today we're going to be talking about how family offices evaluate real estate. But this was done in a recent podcast that I participated in with Real Crowd, and so I want to thank the guys over at Real Crowd for um, hospitality and doing a great job on this interview. So without further ado, I'm going to pass it over to these guys, and you're definitely going to want to listen in because it's a it's a great episode. All opinions expressed by Adam, Tyler, and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Real Crowd. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. To gain a better understanding of the risks associated with commercial real estate investing, please consult your advisors. First off, you got to make sure that you've got a quality sponsor. And there's various components that you want to look for to see that they sort of check the boxes because that's who you're working with. That's who you're trusting. That's who you're, you're putting your faith into. And the deals are secondary. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Adam. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Yeah, doing well? Yeah, doing really good. Nice sunny day outside. Adam, who who do we have on today? Uh, whoa, we switched it up there. I get to intro. Today we've got DJ Van Curen. Mm-hmm. He's uh, currently works for a large family office down in Southern California. Been in the real estate space for, gosh, 30 years uh, and is also the founder of the U.S. Family Office mm-hmm. Real Estate, which is a educational base where family offices that are interested in real estate can come learn and network and and just figure out what's going on in the space yeah he's a thought leader in the space if you go to any conferences that have family offices odds are you'll see dj there trying to help educate family offices on what to look for uh, across the industry yeah and so he did a survey across a bunch of family offices in his network uh, that's really the first time that a survey at this scale has been done to get the temperature on how family offices are looking at this asset class and i think Family offices are, you know, they're often shrouded in mystique and they're shrouded in mystery. Uh, but, you know, we talk about kind of some of the differences of what makes family office approaches unique and, and also what makes them more like traditional investors than we might think. Absolutely. It, it still came down to the fundamentals of, you know, building a relationship with the sponsor, doing your due diligence. And it wasn't too far off from what everyday investors try to do when they're looking at real estate. Yeah. So just quick breakdown. You know, we looked at how do family offices look at real estate, talked a little bit about their, you know, their allocations over the cycle, how that's maybe changed uh, strategy at this stage of the cycle, uh, product type, product mix. Uh, and this is, you know, I thought also interesting that DJ commented that real estate is oftentimes the second largest wealth creation tool outside of how they made their primary capital. Yeah. So I think, again, kind of underscores, uh, you know, real estate can be a great wealth generation tool and, and those that have access to it tend to use it. Yeah, yeah. And this was a good episode, just kind of here inside the minds of uh, investors who really invest into real estate all the time and how they look at the space. Yep. So we'll uh, go over the results of the survey. You'll hear from DJ on uh, all, all types of things about family offices. And again, drilling back down to, to wrap it up with those fundamentals. So I think that's a good overview. Uh, as always, we appreciate your comments, feedbacks, uh, ratings, wherever you listen to the podcast. We appreciate those ratings and reviews. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, send us a note to podcast at realcrowd.com. And with that, let's get to it. All right, DJ, 
Thanks for coming on the show today, joining us from uh, the, the beautiful state of Colorado. We appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Well, why don't you start us, tell us a little bit about your journey in the real estate space and how you got specifically into the family office business. Tell us a little bit about that world. Sure. So, um, you know, my uh, my delve into real estate goes back to actually 2003. I was um, coming back from Asia. I was working on a project in Vietnam and and um, literally was I remember sitting over in Saigon saying, OK, what do I want to do next? Because I'm leaving here and I'm going back to the States. And and I was like, you know, <clears throat> I want to get into well, real estate. Real estate's always excited me. So uh, I went out, raised some uh, private money and I started what was going to be the, the first single family read at the time. So I was about 10 years ahead of the curve. And one of the things that I really dove into, which I think is applicable to what's happening today um, is a, a book about market cycles. And um, I started to see s- some things that were happening that weren't really making sense. And so I ended up selling the portfolio before the downturn and uh, went back to grad school and then stayed within the real estate space. And, you know, through that, I ended up doing some investment banking on the real estate side. So structuring some transactions um, with, uh, um, you know, the equity and debt and whatnot. And, um, and what's interesting with my background is in the 90s, I was an advisor. So I, I totally get that retail side. And then uh, I ended up moving into working with the big institutions like Carlisle and Apollo and whatnot. And and this all came about because one of the things that I realized was, look, if I want to be do- doing deals, I've got to be able to build up that investor database and investor know-how so that I can go out and and you know, circle back and raise money uh, later on. And so I had been working for another number of operators and had just moved to Denver from New York City, um, where I was working with a major developer out of Mumbai. We were doing a lot of luxury hotels and condos in New York City. And and believe it or not, I I um I was a year and a half into Denver, and I was like, I haven't met anybody here. So I just started sending out some emails and meeting with people. And uh, I ran across a very wealthy gentleman out of Boulder, Colorado, and um, he was a, a family office. And when he died, all his assets was going to his foundation because he didn't have, um, you know, really he had one kid he was going to leave some money to. But the amount of wealth that he had, he had to figure out a way to, you know, keep the business going and manage those assets and allow those people to help him build his wealth, stay employed. So they asked me, DJ, we're going to raise a fund. What do you think we should do? And I said, well – you know, we could go the institutional route where all my relationships were family offices. And at the time, I only knew two families. Uh, about a year later, I knew about 200 families. And and so that's where I, I came into the family office space. And, and um, believe it or not, 95% of the people that end up working for a family, they do it. They just fall into it. And mm-hmm. the majority of time is because somebody has a big exit from the sale of their business. They're now sitting on a couple hundred million dollars. And they're like, okay, now what do I do? And, well, I trust my accountant. I trust my banker. I trust my advisor. And, you know, can you help me with this money? And so that's, you know, sort of the same way that I came into it. I just fell into it. Now I'm working with my second family um, for about two years now. So I've been in a total of about five years. And, um, you know, my passion has been real estate. And so that's really been where I've, I've focused on is, is real estate um, in the family office space. And now let's maybe take a step backwards and define you know, what is a family office, right? And, and at what, what point do you go from being a, 
high net worth, ultra high net worth to a quote unquote family office? Is it a structure thing? Is it a net worth thing? Take us a little bit through that. Yeah, that that's a good question because a lot of the over the years that name has been thrown around more and more. You know that you're a family office. the 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 real number that ultimately comes out is that you have a net worth of two hundred fifty two hundred fifty million or more. And um, along with that, you know, not only do you have issues that you're dealing with on the finance side, so you're you're how do we allocate this money? How do we um, you know, plan for future generations. Um, uh, but you're also dealing with a lot of family issues. So that could be nuances between the family because now there's all this wealth and you get some, you know, inner, uh, inner fighting or, or, you know, sometimes or just some inner issues that you're dealing with. It's also uh, planning for future generations. Um, it's also, you uh, you know, making sure that you've got the best tax strategies that are possible, et cetera. So it just gets it's just more uh, complex. Uh, there are people that, you know, might be worth 100 million that, that, you know, has a family office. But if you hire somebody internally, you, you really need to have uh, those, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in order to justify the cost, have somebody internally mm-hmm. helping with that. And so, um you know, it's more of a holistic approach that's being taken to with the wealth and the family and the future generations. And, and, and that's where, you know, they'll have family meetings, they'll have family retreats, the whole deal. So um, it's just taking that next step. A lot of times people will say, well, they're a family office, but they're just managing the, the asset component, which is, which is an important component. I, I call those the, the hard components. And then you have the soft components, which are dealing with the family relationships and whatnot. So that's really what the, the major definition of a, a, a family office would be is that holistic approach to the family and and everything uh, you know associated with it. Perfect. And then how about a single family office versus multifamily? Sure. The um uh you know the biggest difference is that a single family office is is just that. It's it's one family. And um you know, when they're large enough, they'll have somebody internally that's able to help with all the different aspects that I brought up before. And, you know, not only the hard components of the of the, of the investment side, but also the softer, you know, dealing with the holistic uh, family component. And, um, you know, so a single family is just that. It's one single family. It could be Michael Dell's family. It could be uh, you know, the family, Heyman family that I work for or the uh, the Gates family, et cetera. On a multifamily office, that's that's a family that, uh, you know, might not want somebody by the for, for themselves working internally. They may not want the cost. They may want, um, you know, to go to have more help with somebody that's got a lot more experience. And so a multifamily is, is just that they're actually, um, you know, serving as that chief investment officer or that person overseeing, you know, the whole, the holistic component for the family, but they're not just doing it for one family, they're doing it for a multi, you know, a, a, a number of families that are doing that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you look at somebody like a CTC, my CFO, they're owned by the Bank of Montreal, you know, they've got over 300 families, for example, and and one of the advisors might be working with 10 to 12 families because you are limited to how many families you can actually, you know, service mm-hmm. uh, and service properly. So it's really just, um, you know, working with multi multiple family and using the inter- the uh, the resources internally 
uh, in order to give those families the support that they're looking for. Got it. And now you said you were a financial advisor uh, in a in prior career. How would you say the investing habits of a family office differ from that of, you know, just a, a high net worth individual? You know, that is a very, um, that's a great question. And, and I'm also going to answer a little bit more to that too, because a lot of times people think of family offices as a institutional investor, mm -hmm. right? And you hear that name a lot. The reality is, is that they're much closer to the retail investor, um, than they are on the institutional side. Now, institutional side, they've got their boxes, right? And they're typically investing other people's monies. And, and um, a lot of them are compensated for getting money out the door, to be honest with you. And so they're, they're, they're looking at their box to invest into in their specific area. Usually they've got to write a lot bigger checks, um, you know, starting at 20 million, let's say on the equity side. So now you're looking at real estate that's, you know, 75 million plus. Mm -hmm. um, and they've got their box of what they're looking for, and they've got to get it out in the marketplace. On the retail side, high net worth side, and the family office side, um, you know, this is personal money. You have emotions. That's uh, that's a part of it. And what's great is that you know, family offices they don't have to invest. You know, um, they can wait and they can be particular on what they want to allocate to or what they want to invest into. So. You know, I think that the, the, the bigger difference back to your – the biggest difference between what you're saying between the high net worth and the, and the family office is that, um, you know, they're usually taking into consideration – it could be multiple generations. Mm. You know, my friend of mine is dealing with, um, you know, he's – his family office is uh, is 800 family members. Wow. You know, that's that's how how far down it goes. I was talking to a friend of mine that runs the family office for the Rockefellers and you know there's there's 300, you know, and, and it could they're on their fourth generation and the first three have passed and they're deceased and now they're you know they're they're trying to make sure that that money's there for they've got a lot of mouths to feed basically, right? Mm -hmm. Or that high net worth, they're trying to create, really create their wealth, uh, primarily for their family, and so um, they don't necessarily have to think about how that's going to affect, you know, hundreds of people or tens of tens of people. So I think that it's it's you're not having to worry about as much necessarily. Obviously, you want to make sure that you're getting the best returns possible and that you're allocating, etc. But you don't have a lot of that other issues that comes with having a, a lot more mouths to feed. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, that's, I think, a really good overview to kind of frame uh, the work that you've done recently with the, the survey that you did to kind of get the temperature of how family offices are viewing real estate right now. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what that survey was, uh, some of the things that you're trying to look for, and then you know, we'll, we'll dig into a few of the kind of key takeaways from there. Sure. So I, you know, as I mentioned, I work for one single family, the Heyman family, and they're based out of, um, it's a Beverly Hills family. And about a year and a half into uh, working for the prior family, um, you know, I'll never forget because the one of the first people who happens to be a well-known in the industry, family office industry, when I was trying to understand it, I said, um, she said, hey, we had a conference, we had six, 60 families in Israel. And I said, well, what did you guys talk about? And she goes, oh, you know, Hedge Funds 101. And I'm thinking to myself, Hedge Funds 101? 
these are very intelligent, smart people, successful people, have a lot of money. I can't believe that. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, families, if they created their money in chemicals or rubber tires or, you know, whatever the case is, they're an expert in that field, but they don't necessarily really understand, um, you know, hedge funds or real estate or private equity, mm -hmm. you know, stocks, bonds to that extent. And so there is an education factor there. So I had started back about uh, four years ago, just starting to provide that, whether it was through a book or, or you know, uh, occasional podcasts or, or just materials to share. And um, so one of the things that I did about three months ago um, through the uh, a Family Office Real Estate Magazine is I put together a, a study, which is the largest comprehensive, most comprehensive study of family offices and the real estate holdings that's been put out there. So we had over 100 families. We had a good data set. We did about 60 questions in there. And, um, you know, it was really to try to get an idea so that other families could know, hey, what are what are others doing? They have this in the like the insurance industry with the insurance investors and stuff. And so that there can be an understanding of what the peers are doing. And uh, there's definitely um, some reports that have been put out for high net worth, um, you know, that gives some information and background about what their habits are. And eventually, I think we'll try to combine that to really compare what high net worth is doing compared to family offices, because I, mm -hmm. I think that'll be interesting, too, to see where are the real differences there. Um, and so that's what we just finished up. And, you know, that's um, so we've got some intel and some information that, uh, you know, nobody's really been able to, to have access to. Perfect. So what was the most surprising thing that you found uh, when looking over the results of that survey? You know, there's a couple things that was really interesting. You know, one is um, one has to do with the the big um, talking point, which has been at least for six to nine months. And I'm sure you guys have have um, talked about opportunity zones. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, there, there there was always talk that, well, family offices are going to be the ones that are really uh, funding this. And um you know, from the surveys, only 24% of the families said that they were going to invest in an opportunity zone. And the remaining was either maybe or no. Hmm. And so it's, uh, you know, and a lot of it has to do with that wait and see mode, uh, because we're still waiting uh, um, for, for the regulations to come out. And um, where I really think that the uh, where the monies are coming from outside of the large institutions like an insurance company or a bank or whatnot. Um, but the individual check writers are really are coming more from uh, the high net worth mm -hmm. than it is coming from the family offices. So, you know, that was, that was quite interesting to me. Um, another thing too, is that, you know, one of the areas of allocations, um, you know, there's, there's a huge and has been a huge push for doing direct deals uh, from family offices over the last couple years. Um, but there was also, you know, a, a significant uh, uh, amount of families that were looking to, you know, invest into, into uh, you know, private funds mm -hmm. of sorts. So not just that one-off deal, but but uh, a fund that would have multiple deals. Th those were two, two big areas that I think really stick out um, because – you know, there is has been that big push toward direct and, right. you know, also the discussion with the opportunity zones. And now with direct versus funds, maybe we can take again a second to, to go over that. So direct in the family office space, is that them acquiring assets and operating themselves with their internal management or is that partnering with a third party 
uh, sponsor that, you know, we, we in, in our world call them sponsors? Well, there's two types. Uh, that, that's a good question. On, on the direct side, I think I want to clarify something that I think is very important um, because, and this is this is something I don't think people realize, when, when, when people go out searching for capital and they're like, well, I'm going to call one of these large families or, you know, they can write me a a $5 million check and, hey, they've been doing real estate for 30 years. The reality is is that the family offices that participate in investments, uh, let's say directly into real estate, um, they're not the, the real estate families um, because their attitude is that, look, we're going to do it ourselves, um, you know, rather than give somebody else the money. Now, if you look at the tech side, uh, and you went to a Mark Zuckerberg or whatnot and said, hey, here's this great tech company. There's a great opportunity. They'll write a personal check for that because they understand the industry. They're going to understand what's happening uh, per se. But it's like, look, you got to have somebody that really specializes and really understands that niche. Whereas real estate, they're like, look, I'll just you know invest it into my own deals. Mm-hmm. So, So for that – you know, family offices, you, you do get some families that will do deals themselves. Um, but, you know, over 40 percent are, are looking to invest uh, as the LP. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be, um, you know, uh, obviously working with others. And so, you know, one of the biggest things to do because they don't have that expertise is they do like to look for local operators that they um, feel good about uh, working with um, because they they only want to find three or four different operators to really work with mm-hmm. um, so that they don't have to continue to go over and over and over again. You know, it's all about trust. It's all about relationships. So once there's that trust there, then they can they can uh, you know they'll continue to support that operator into multiple deals, which is what operators want, right? right. They they want to they want to be able to have one source and. Um, or, or the ability to raise money, which is great with what you guys do because it gives them, you know, one point of access for capital, mm-hmm. right? Um, so they, they don't have to necessarily go out and find those X number of investors in order to, to uh, work on a project. Perfect. And then how about uh, just overall allocation to the asset class? Were you able to uncover anything in terms of kind of look going forward or are they bullish on the, on the real estate as an asset class? Are they pulling back at this stage of the cycle? Anything you learned there? Yeah. So, um, families are, are, they, they know that we're about to go into some site of a downturn of some sorts. Okay. And so they're very, they're, they're very cautious for that. And the majority of the families feel that there is going to be somewhat of a downturn within the next 12 to 18 months. Some of them feel it's a little sooner. Some of it feels a little bit later. But as a whole, everybody is like, okay, something's going to be happening. And and I have my philosophy on that on the whole cycle thing. I know you did a, a fantastic um, uh, podcast with Glenn Mueller, who I um, have the, the, the biggest respect for, and mm-hmm. I consider him the – the godfather of market cycles, to be honest with you. And, and so, um, but you know, they do run in certain spurts. So, um, yeah, what's, what's a lot of them, the majority are holding tight. Um, so you've got, let's say 50% that are saying, we're just going to stay where we're at. And then the other 25 and 25 to the equal that hundred is either they're, they're increasing a little bit or they're cutting back. So for the more majority of them are, are staying 
you know, where they're at. And, um, you know, the, the, the biggest area of interest for families, um, which is an alarming, you know, 77% of the respondents are in that multifamily sector. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that is the biggest, uh, you know, area of, of, um, of interest. And then it's followed by, you know, office retail and hotels and office retail and hotels are, you know, there's over 25% that, that uh, have an interest in those areas as well. So, um, but multifamily hands down is the biggest, um, you know, biggest area of interest. Uh, mm -hmm. They like the, the steady cash flow and they also like, um, uh, you know, the diversification of all the tenants, et cetera. Uh, and they hear what's going on in the market. So they, that's, that's one of the areas that they're definitely, um, you know, holding true to. And what sort of a total portfolio allocation are the respondents? And again, maybe this is obviously a real estate focus, so maybe the results are going to be a little bit skewed from the you know, the, the, the greater family office world. But what percentage allocation are you seeing uh, in a typical portfolio to real estate as an asset class, whether it's you know direct or, or into funds? It's about seventeen percent. Seventeen. And yeah, and and that is a number. You know, I, I we've. Uh, another group that does a great job and, and has been doing surveys, but they do it on a on a uh, much more broader scale in private equity and hedge funds and everything else is is uh, Campton Wealth and mm -hmm. and you know w we've compared our statistics to them and and they're they're spot on um, and so that's that's the average allocation that's come up a little bit from last year. Last year it had gone down in the U.S. to about ten point three. Um, the year before that, it was about 16.2, and now it's it, it came back up over the last year. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And has that uh, has that? Do you think that's going to change over time, or it sounds like most are going to stay fairly consistent with that going forward? That kind of you know 15 to 17 percent of the portfolio. Yeah, I you know when you look back, the the the, the second biggest area of wealth creation outside of the main area where families ha has made have made a lot of money is in real estate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that's because of all the tax benefits, um, you know, that you've got a hard asset, you've got a real asset um, and, um, you know, it's tangible. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's always going to play a, a main uh, part of a, of a family office portfolio. Uh, and it should for high net worth, too. I mean, it, it's an area that, uh, you know, continues to grow, continues to do well. Uh, you know, there's been talk before where it's like, look, we should add that to the um, to the broader index as one of the major asset classes. And, um, you know, that's that's being compared and, uh, you know, returns wise. In fact, it's funny because my uh, my patriarch, he had a second the family had a second area of, of um, wealth creation where they sold a business uh, at the beginning of 2011. And then he really heavily started investing in real estate. Uh, more so in what they were doing in the past, and he's like, "Look, uh, I've made more money in real estate than I have in <laughs> in anything else that I've done." Wow, and and that's really you know what has crossed the board. But something that that I think is is very interesting too that I do want to make a point is that you know over thirty percent of the respondents um, their their hold time is is fifteen plus years, and so they look for for long term holds. Um, you had about the same amount within, you know, five to seven was about 18%, same thing in seven to 10 and, 
and just a t- tad bit less from 10 to 15. So, um, you know, there's two areas here where if there's the ability to k- kick off that income stream and, and help for future generations, um, you know, th- they're all for it. How are you seeing uh, family offices use real estate? So you said uh, there's there's a view that in the next 12 to 18 months, uh, there's going to be a downturn. Yet we saw family offices increase their holdings in real estate. So how, how do they view real estate in terms of comparing it with the market cycle, where we are, how do they use that as a strategy? Um, that's a good question. So last year, like I said, I mean, there was that they were people were holding true. You know, it goes back to the, if, if you've got um, if you're looking for the long term and, and this is just from a fundamental of real estate, right, that if 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 you're able to absorb a downturn, uh, but you're able to still have positive cash flow, it really doesn't matter if your assets worth zero, because if you've got that that cash flow that's able to pay for the debt and um you know, like I said, it's positive, uh, then you can out, out, you know, outlive a cycle Mm -hmm. and you can get through that cycle. So, um, they don't feel that there's necessarily a recession coming, uh, but they know that there's going to be some, some changes that are happening, which is just part of the economic cycle. Um, and they're not necessarily sophisticated on, on where we are or, or, you know, what that's going to look like. But the number one thing, and I and I did a survey about four years ago as well, with a different sample size, and it's the exact same result, which is the number one thing that families you know want to know is where are we in the real estate cycle. So um, you know they do feel that that something's coming around the corner, but you know a good a good deal is still a good deal, regardless. I mean you mm-hmm. you you guys know this. You can make money in down markets. Uh, and whether that's stocks or, or real estate, it just depends on what that uh, uh, property type is and where it's located, and what are the um, you know the financials look like for that opportunity. Yeah, and now uh, you, you mentioned a little bit on the product type, multifamily obviously being the the most uh, sought after, I guess. Um, what about strategy in terms of uh, you know more core? And with your comments too of being able to write the cycle, you know, most I think the general impression of a family office is they're they have the wealth and they're they're investing to preserve it, right? So kind of capital preservation is one of the primary strategies of a family office. Um, have you seen that strategy shift across the kind of core core plus opportunistic spectrum? So that is very very interesting, and this is where uh, in some ways you have a contradiction, right? Because the 72% of the respondents um, look for opportunistic opportunities. Interesting. And then, and then second, which is, you know, over 65 is, is value add. And then you've got development, which is half of them want development. And then, you know, 44 is at distressed. And, and, and so you get down to the core core plus, and that's in the 25% range. Hmm. And, and so, right. It, it, it sort of contradicts, the 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 two areas where um because on the value add side um you know usually that's a three to five year play right for that opportunistic or development they're getting in they're getting the monies and 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 uh letting it go so but some of that i think um it the the way that i would interpret that uh is that they want to get those higher rates return but they're they also take a longer term perspective mm of their capital in the real estate space. 
so taking on riskier projects at the outset, but with a, a longer term intent. So kind of stabilized to hold. Stabilized to hold would definitely be one. Yes, that, that would definitely be one of those areas for sure. Yeah. Um, and obviously they want to be tax efficient. So, you know, if, if that's where you start getting into the 1031s, but uh, when you look at some of the statistics that, that we've got on the on the 1031 side, it, not as many people are doing 1031s as you'd think they're doing 1031s. Yeah. So it, it, it's like, OK, like I said, like you were saying, you know, let's get it stabilized. And, and um, but we still want that opportunity for a higher rate of return. I mean, if you if you do a deal properly, you're going to end up, um, you know, whether you refinance it after a value add or you do a development deal and you're able to return the principal, you know, now you're playing with the house's money. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's sort of the best of both worlds, right? You're getting your money back, but you're also able to click coupons on a go-forward basis. Yeah. And now you also mentioned earlier, uh, you know, a, a family is going to look for anywhere between kind of three to four sponsors that they're going to partner with and, and just kind of leverage those relationships. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship side of this and you know, how do how do family offices look at building a relationship or, or doing diligence? Because I mean, they're bombarded with pitches for opportunities all the time, right? Um, how do they kind of sift through those and maybe take us a little bit through what that process looks like of either identifying a new manager they want to work with, or, you know, when they see something interesting, how does that process unfold uh, to, to build those relationships? Yeah. So, you know, the biggest issues with family offices is being able to find them. Um, and, and that's why if there's a platform like what you guys have and you've got families that are a part of that, you know, that's a great way to agree in per se. But it, it is all relationship driven. And mm-hmm. so that could be from, you know, you refer me to somebody um, or I do some I do something for you. I provide you a good return and then you're going to start talking about it. Um, but families are uh, relationship driven. Um, there, there's. They don't have, uh, and I'm talking to this on the majority, right? And I'm not talking about real families that created their wealth in real estate, but they don't have a formal process of how they really screen sponsors Mm -hmm. and how they really screen, uh, you know, the opportunities in general. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big component. Um, you know, when I get asked from other families, I'm like, well, first off, you got to make sure that you've got a quality sponsor. And, you know, there's various components that you want to look for to see that um, they sort of check the boxes um, because that's who you're working with. That's who you're trusting. That's who you're you're putting your faith into. uh, And the deals are secondary. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also what happens is that once they're comfortable with those sponsors um, and who they're working with, then the deal becomes less important because they're 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 trusting those people. So. You know, it's it's um, it really comes down to they're, they're pitched all the time. And I think you just brought that up. I I, I get probably five a day uh, about deals um, that people are, are sending me and just selling me instead of uh, starting by adding value. Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest things that they can do um, is is to say, hey, this is what we're doing. You know, it's nice to meet you. And don't ask them for money out of the gate, um, but start to, uh, uh, you know, start to build that relationship. And one of the things that I would do, quite honestly, is um, if I was a sponsor working with you guys, 
I would send them um, various uh, podcasts about different things that you guys have covered, you know, that, that are a value add, Mm -hmm. right? You you guys have some tremendous resources that, and some great podcasts and, and, and whatnot that I think can really be helpful for the sponsors to utilize and say, Hey, this is something that, uh, you know, was discussed the other day. You might want to take a listen. It could be helpful, et cetera. And just start doing that. Um, I can tell you this is if I'm, uh, if we're working on a project and we've had a, 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 just a couple of projects that we've worked with other families on that we said, hey, do you want to sort of come along? Um, you know, what I'll do is I'll meet a family and, um, you know, get to know them, uh, send them a thank you card, um, be there if they've got questions, let them know for that. And then I won't even if there's a project that we're working on, which at the time, let's say I don't have anything, I might say, hey, uh, we're working on this deal. Do you want to take a look at it? I mean, that's literally the pitch because it's like, you know, I we're doing this. We're putting money into it. You want to take a look at it? And they'll be like, hey, yeah, you know, and that's a really laid way, uh, a laid back way of doing it. But mm-hmm. that's what's really appreciated, you know, on families. Um, and then when they do start investing, don't expect that five million dollar check. They might write you a two hundred fifty thousand dollar check just to test you out. Mm-hmm. They might write you a hundred thousand dollar check to test you out. Um, or depending on how large a family are, they could do two million. But if they wrote you a two million dollar check, uh, just be aware of that. You know, there's a ten million dollar check sitting around the corner because that was just their minimum that they were starting with. Right. So, you know, it's a longer term process for sure. Um, and so you got to look at it like a nine to nine month to two year, uh, endeavor. But once you get them, they know other families and they're going to refer you to other families if you do a good job and, um, make it fun because I can tell you this is that the, the, the nicest people, the best people I've met are people that are extremely wealthy and they're just good people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's some, some, ways you can just hang out with them and, and do things that they'll appreciate. And that just really helps build the relationships. You mentioned a number of times you got to trust the sponsor. Could you lay out for me what that process looks like for you when you're looking to build trust with a sponsor? What questions are you asking? What resources are you looking for? Um, are you looking at the track record? What do you need to see from the sponsor to build that trust? Yeah. So, um, for, for us, we're a little bit different just because of my background and the understanding of real estate. So that'll come back to say, uh, what I look for is what's the track record. Like you said, you know, what have they done in the past? Have they been through a downturn in the past? Um, if you've got, if they, if somebody's been through the last cycle and they were around, you know, before it started, and they were able to weather that storm, I would play that up significantly because, you know, that wasn't an easy time for a lot of uh, uh, real estate operators. Mm-hmm. And so if you were able to get through that, I'd definitely go through that. You know, outside the track record, I'd also go through and say, what's the team done? How long have you guys worked together, right? And and uh, what other similar type of products projects have you worked on? You know, if you're doing multifamily, is that what your track record consists of? Is it multifamily or have you been doing hotels and now you're moving over to, uh, you know, multifamily? So I would look at that. Um, a big one is that if you say you're going to do something, you do it. If you say that, hey, I'm going to send you over a list of our 
of our uh, track record for what we've been talking about, do it. And don't wait a week. Don't wait two weeks because what starts happening is, okay, if you have this information together, um, then it shouldn't have taken you two weeks in order to send it to me because that's you're sending me a message of how organized. And one of the biggest things that I would do, um, and this is from my days working with the big institutions, if you work with a, a large institution, they are going to ask you for – everything under the sun and um they're, they're going to want to know all the details um just across the board so what i would do is i'd actually create a um you know a, a war room as such whether it's in dropbox or, or 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 some type of a program i think if you guys have that then you definitely want to upload as much as you can you want to you want to put it out there put together the bios of everybody put together the track record um put together the um you know if you've got financials put together financials um just put all that data information that you can that's going to be asked about um you which i'm sure you guys have a checklist put it all together and I'd even put it into a, a hard copy and I would send it to them because if that binder is a, a is an inch or two thick, I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen is that they might flip through just a few pages, but you're sending a message that says we've got our act together. We know what we're doing. This is not the first time we've done this before. Right. And I think that that, that right there is is going to get you 90% of the way to the finish line because they haven't had to ask. They're like, here you go. <laughs> and, and, it, and it starts drawing that, like I said, I mean, even if they only look it through a couple pages, you're sending them a message, which is extremely positive. So when you're building the trust with the sponsor, how much time are you actually spending on the deal or, or are you, is it, all sponsor first yeah i think like i said i mean I, if you take the approach to get to know them keep them in touch you know if you're working on a project this you can even send emails to say hey we just uh, we just closed on this project just want to give you a little fii you know if you've had another milestone just send a you know you can send a, <clears throat> an email and just say hey i just want to let you know of a milestone that we just hit if you had a sale with a return uh with a, a return even better because you can say, Hey, we just exited. Here was our, here was our return. And it might've been a deal that you started three years ago or four years ago. It's still relevant, right? You, you still had a, a successful uh, close and you also had a successful, you know, outcome share that. And then um, that's where you, that's where you'll get to the point to say, Hey, we're working on another deal. Do you want to take a look at it? And by that time, they're like they're familiar, right? They've seen your name come across. They've seen some things that you've actually done, and then what they'll say most likely they'd probably say, "Yeah, I'd like to take a look at it." Okay, now you've sort of gotten over that sponsor issue, and now you're on to the project yeah. and the deal itself, right? So that's where you want to get to that point. You want to get to the point where it's just, "Hey, you want to take a look at this." Um, and that, and if they say yes, then you know that you've gotten, you've gotten over that hump. Um, and now you can focus on the deal at hand and that's where you make sure that don't take anything for granted, that they understand this or they understand that 
So you want to make any presentation as simple as possible on the key points. And what do they want to know? They really, you know, anybody wants to know what are you investing into? How long is it going to take? Um, how do I know that, you know, you're going to probably be successful? Well, that comes from what you've done in the past. Am I going to get my money back? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, you know, are you, do you have a vested interest in this? Uh, and then what supporting information do you have that that's a good, that it is a good deal that you're taking on? Well, and, um, so you feel you can be successful. And now you just said there that you, does the manager have a vested interest? I think that's something that we see in our industry. And I'm, I'm curious how that plays out in the family office world is I think people are inherently skeptical of any time that someone brings them an opportunity that they're going to be taken advantage of or right or they're, they're on opposing teams. Um, and I feel that that's not necessarily the same, the case, right? <laughs> when, when you're investing with a manager who's making decisions on your behalf and is out there to try to you know maximize profit for all, you're really on the same team, right? So I think I'd be curious how the family offices view this, this partnership or this relationship as a, you know, do they view it as opposing parties? Are the family office interests not necessarily aligned with that of the sponsor or, or do they see it as more of the, the same team kind of approach? I guess the question is, is that are you indicating that the sponsor has a financial uh, you know, that they've invested money into the deal and a, and a substantial amount according to them? Or are you saying a sponsor that doesn't put any money in? Well, ideally, the sponsor is going to have money in the, in the, in the deal, right? I mean, I think that's, that's pretty much a, a given for, for most, again, most good managers are going to have their own capital invest in the deal as well. Yeah. I mean, if, if once again, I mean, one that helps, right? Because they know that, um, that they're not going to want to just bow out because they've got something to lose. And that, and that can vary, right? Because to somebody, uh, $200,000 could mean <laughs> everything. 